Yes, yes, yes. What's that old saying? If that doesn't fire you up, your wood's wet or something like that. You need. <laughs> what a great day. What a great thing that we get to gather together. Did, is that, did that work? I almost got it right. Something like that. Are you exhausted? <laughs> I am. I don't know if I can preach now. Before you sit down, I just want to speak into this right here, okay? What I want you to hear today, what we, I think the Holy Spirit wants you to hear today from the way these songs have been put together, is that this is a place where if you're broken, you can be healed, you can be fixed. This is the place where um, redemption is taking place, where reconciliation is taking place. This is the place where you come and find hope. And I know some of us, as we're singing this song, and we're singing the words, there's nothing better than you, I know that some of us didn't live that way this week. I know that some of us actually walked in here with some shame because we didn't live in a way, we lived for ourselves. We lived in a way that kind of proved in our minds that there is something better to offer that I want to go after instead of the Lord. But what's wonderful about God and what's wonderful about the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ is that when we do act out in ways that are unbiblical or we act out in ways that are selfish and we are not giving in to everything that is God in our lives, that we can come back like this and just say once again, Lord, I'm sorry. Amen. And I'm... I want to live for you. I want to live in a way that shows you that I think there's nothing greater on this earth. There's nothing that can offer me anything greater than what you are. And I want all of you. And I want it anew and I want it afresh today. Some of you may be still hanging on to stuff from your past and you're just like, I can't get over it. I can't get over it. And the Lord won't forgive me. Yes, he will. And if you know him as your savior, he already has. And I just want to say to those of you who might be searching for, for truth in this world, you might be searching for significance, you might be searching for love, that this is the place where you can find it. You can find the Lord Jesus Christ today for the first time and it will change your life and it will redeem you and save you and you'll never be the same. You'll be a new, brand new creation and a brand new child of God. And you can have all of him today. I just want you to know that before we go any further. So I'll, I just pray, Lord, that you'll, you'll bring deliverance today and you'll bring health today and strength and hope and confidence today. And I pray that you will do what you do best. We just sang about it, how you turn graves into gardens and you bring beauty out of ashes and you turn seas, stormy seas, into highways of opportunity and as we look to the future and all that is there ahead of us, we pray that you'll help us to see that there's nothing greater than you and that we follow the greatest being, the greatest entity, the greatest power of all the universe in you, our Heavenly Father, and you, Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of you, Holy Spirit, working within us. Help us to harness that joy today and harness that hope today and harness that strength today and that peace today. In 
Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And you might want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. But let's get started with this passage that comes out of Philippians chapter 4. The scripture tells us that we are to always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, Paul said, rejoice. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And don't worry about, there's a good place for an amen right there. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Amen. And so don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And when you do, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There's some good news right there. There's some good strength right there that we can gain straight from God's word. So I just want to ask a question as we get started. Hey, Tony. Good to see you, buddy. (laughs) Just want to ask a question as we get started. Anyone planning on a vacation out west to Yellowstone this summer? Nobody? Yes. Way to go. When do you guys go? Can I go with you? Tomorrow? August. Okay. I'm, let's talk. I want to go. How many of you have been to Yellowstone National Park? Yellowstone National Park. Yeah, wow. A lot of you. It's an amazing place. Um, we used to go there when I was a kid. My family liked to vacation in Yellowstone when I was a kid, and um, I couldn't wait to go stand by Old Faithful and wait for Old Faithful um, to erupt, spewing its pillar of boiling water 125 feet into the air every 70 minutes or so. Magnificent sight. I just, I just loved seeing that. Of course, you couldn't get too close to it because it was boiling water shooting out of the ground. But hey, I didn't care. I was a kid. Um, we then, we then would make our way over to the burping, steamy, stinky, what I called the witch's cauldron. That's what I had in my imagination. At least that's what I imagined it to be. It was called the Grand Prismatic Spring. Maybe you, if you've been there, you've stood by that and you have seen that amazing thing. And all I could think about walking around it was, don't fall in, don't fall in, don't fall in. You know, as a kid, there's just everything so much bigger and, and mag- more magnificent. But truly, um, this place is a, one of the great wonders of the world. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But here's what's interesting about it all, okay? As, a, as an ignorant child, while skipping around, as little kids do, imagining um, things like witches' cauldrons and boiling toads, I was totally oblivious to the fact that I was walking on top of what they call a super volcano, just waiting below the surface to explode its reservoir of hot magnum coming from hundreds of miles beneath the Earth's surface. What was wrong with my parents? Why would they take me to such a dangerous place? I mean, yikes, right? When you stop to think about the fact that you're walking on a super volcano, and you're seeing evidence of it burping and spitting and and spewing 125 feet columns of boiling hot water out of the ground. 
That's a scary thing. I tend to hold that against my parents for not sharing that with me. (laughs) Because do you know what will happen if that super volcano decided to erupt? And it has erupted before. But you know what would happen right now if it erupted? I'm quoting, okay, this is from a study on it. A Yellowstone eruption would spew ash thousands of miles, burying Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and Colorado in three feet of ash. This supervolcanic eruption would make Mount St. Helens look like a hip hiccup. How many of you were around with Mount St. Helens? Okay, that was, that was horrible, horrible thing that was going on over there on the West Coast. This, they say this would make it look like a hiccup. It's believed that a poisonous cloud would spread at hurricane speed all the way across the U.S. and Canada, shredding people's lungs, destroying buildings, shutting down power grids, covering food crops completely, and creating what they call a super winter that would last for a decade. Help! We live in a dangerous place. You realize that if it erupted right now, it would destroy the entire continent? Wow. The more I study about, I would think some of you would be crying right now. You know, some of you would be like weeping right now, thinking about, just thinking about that. So that's, how do you sleep at night? Seriously, how do I sleep at night? How do you sleep at night knowing that just under the surface could erupt something that would destroy your lives for the rest of your lives? Well, the more I study about all that will happen that we're discussing and we're talking about in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus is letting us in on, all that will happen as we near the end And that the fact, (laughs) I didn't know this until I studied this week, okay? I didn't know that there are 12 super volcanoes under the surface worldwide. You guys are taking this like, hey, no big deal. (laughs) There are 12, one alone in America will destroy the continent, will destroy North America. There are 12 of these. All right, whatever, you don't care about it, I don't care about it. (laughs) As I think about all that, though, I'm beginning to imagine and I'm beginning to understand how the horrific scenes described in the book of Revelation that will take place during the tribulation period will actually come about. But it also reminds me of the terrifying nature of God and all of his greatness and all of his amazing power because he is Our God is holding all that and he's waiting to release all of that at a certain time in history. Natural disasters, according to the scriptures, will play a great part, a major role in the great tribulation. We've been studying the beginning, what the Bible and what Jesus describes as the beginning of the birth pains that will usher this world into full tribulation mode. And what we're discussing, what we're talking about is what we're seeing in the world because we believe, I believe, you could tell by scripture, that we are getting closer and closer to the rapture of the church and the ushering in of the full tribulation. And that's what we've been studying together. 
We've already seen, um, Jesus has already talked about the fact that we will see an increase in demonic-led human deception, and we will see war on both a local and a global front. Let's go back to Matthew 24 and get caught up as we get moving towards our study today, okay? Matthew 24, verse four says, Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. There's the deception. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then he adds something totally different. We've been talking about man-on-man type of stuff. Now we're gonna be talking about nature-on-man kind of stuff. And he says, there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. Now I wanna just jump over to Luke chapter 21. If you wanna jump with me, I'll have it on the screen. But I want you to see what Luke added because Luke added a couple of details that Matthew left out as to what Jesus actually said on on the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. Luke 21, 10, he says, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's what Matthew told us. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines. And then he adds, and plagues in many lands. That word plagues means um, diseases. It could, it, the, the word plague could actually be translated pandemics. And there will be famines, there will be plagues or pandemics in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. These are the things that will be coming. These are the things that we are going to see increasing as we move forward. Now, the world has always had these things happening, right? None of this stuff is new. This stuff's always been happening. We've always heard of these things and have seen these things and maybe have experienced these things. I remember when I was a kid, um, growing up in California, you think nothing of earthquakes, just like growing up out here, you don't think anything of tornadoes. You know, oh yeah, there's a tornado, watch. Ah. When we were kids, if there was an earthquake, it was like, earthquake! I, I remember we were having a youth rally one time. And um, the earth started shaking. You know, we could all feel it. We were all out in the parking lot. And the asphalt was rising about a foot and a half. It was rising and it was like waving. And, and no, no joke, every single one of the teenagers were like, ride the wave, ride the wave. And that's how we responded. Nobody was running for the hills. No one was running for a foxhole somewhere. They were just like, hey, 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 we got another earthquake. I remember another time waking up in the middle of the night and my bed is bouncing across the room. And I just, I didn't, I wasn't afraid at all. I'm like, oh, cool, I'm having an earthquake. We're having an earthquake, it's great. This stuff has always been happening and maybe you've experienced it yourself. But what Jesus is saying is that as we approach the end, we're going to see an increase in the frequency and the intensity of these natural disasters and they're gonna have a massive impact on our world. We're actually seeing this increase all around us. It's being talked about all the time. Listen to the news, you're hearing about it all the time. Biblical scholars are calling it the disintegration of the cursed earth. Paul describes it like this. We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, the earth is getting ready. The earth is getting ready to release everything for the judgment of man and the curse of sin upon the earth. But do you know what the world in all of its biblical ignorance calls it? It's called global warming. It's called climate crisis. We who believe in the Bible, we call it prophecy. 
And we're seeing an increase in it. And what are they saying? What are some of them saying? Some of our politicians are screaming at us. 10 years, 10 years and the whole world is toast. Can I just tell you something? It might be a lot sooner than that. Jesus is, Jesus is coming back. Amen. And when he comes back and he raptures his church, all of nature is going to erupt on a massive scale like no one has ever seen before as we go into the tribulation period. It very well could be that the earth will completely be destroyed in 10 years. Do the math. That still gives Jesus three years to come back and rapture the church. Because then there's a seven-year period of tribulation, and then read it in the book of Revelation chapter 16, and you'll understand. Jesus predicted that we would see these things that we are seeing right now. That ought to bring some help and hope to you. He's telling you the things that you guys are seeing right now, it's going to happen. They're coming. They have to come. But we need to get our heads around this fact, and I'm sorry if this offends you. I really am. I, I really, truly am. But as your shepherd, I have to tell you that things are going to get worse. These things that he's talking about and describing are going to get worse. That's what it means by they're going to increase in frequency and intensity. That's where the birth pains are coming, and we're going to see them get worse and worse. We don't know because no one knows when Jesus is coming back to rapture his church. We don't know how deep into it we have to go before he comes and takes us home. But we are going to experience, we are experiencing it right now. But it's interesting in this passage, it's interesting to see that Jesus links deception and war. He talks about that first and then he links it because he comes back around and says, nation will rise against nation and well, um, kingdom against kingdom. And then he says, and then there will be famine and pestilence. And yet that shouldn't surprise us because it has always been the case in world history. Wherever there is a breakdown in humanitarian relationships and trust, follows it, the result of it is a humanitarian crisis involving food and health. You can read about it in a non-Christian publication um, called the Global Hunger Index, and they have revealed that, and I'm quoting, I think I have it on the screen for you, war and famine, two fearsome horsemen, just stop for a second, okay, these are not Christians writing this, they don't even know that they're talking about, maybe they do, but they're actually quoting from the book of Revelation. War and famine, two fearsome horsemen have long ridden side by side. Armed conflict disrupts food systems, destroys livelihoods, displaces people, and leaves those who do not flee both terrified and unsure when they will eat their next meal. This is actually staring us in the face right now. Because before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, more than 30% of the world's grain supply came from these two countries, the world's grain supply. They're estimating that because of this conflict in Ukraine right now, this war, that over 47 million people will not just experience hunger or food deprivation, they will experience extreme starvation, and this food crisis, which is a product of the war, will be felt for years to come on a global scale just from one conflict. War, famine, disease, 
they're not random in their connection. And Jesus knows this. War results in food shortages. And whenever food is scarce, people become nutritionally deprived. And then their health suffers, which creates an environment for disease to flourish. Not to mention, okay, I have something else I want to mention here, okay? Because that just happens naturally as a result of war and conflict. But I wonder, um, because personally, I don't believe that the coronavirus, I don't believe that um, that pandemic was happened by accident. I, don't, I, I believe that there's some weird, crazy things going on with all of that. If, if not just the fact that what, what's wrong with people that they're experimenting with that kind of stuff that happened to have it actually, actually leak out, uh, whatever, okay? You have your views on that. I have my views on that. Nobody knows because nobody's telling us the truth. But I just wonder if when Jesus is talking about war and then he talks about pestilence coming, I just wonder if he knows, because he knows all things, if he knew in his mind that there would be wicked people that would weaponize viruses for use on people groups of mass destruction, for mass destruction, for the purpose of mass destruction, or for the purpose of control, of mass global control, which we saw both things happen. But isn't it interesting that in a world of amazing medical advances, I mean medical miracles that we see happening all around us, that we have yet to be able to eliminate disease. Instead, sickness is as present as ever, and Jesus says it's going to continue to be, and the sicknesses are going to get worse. But he also said that we would see an increase in earthquakes and national disaster, or natural disasters, and that we would see terrifying, miraculous things in the heavens. What are terrifying, miraculous things in the heavens? Can anyone say UFO? <laughs> Unidentified flying objects. Did you know, my friends? <laughs> okay, don't think I'm just nuts, okay? Just... <laughs> I'm not the opposite of the nutty crazies on the other side of this, okay? Just, just hear me out that if you listen to the news, there is a marked increase of discussion and evidence of unidentified, unexplainable activity going on in the heavens, and they're not just being considered and, 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 um, and proclaimed by the scientific crazies, you know? The, the guys that drive around in the 1975 Winnebago's out in the desert somewhere, you know? The, the, this is different. This is now, there are, there are some of our top brass, some of our top military specialists that are identifying things and seeing things, and they're, they're capturing these things on highly intelligent um, instruments that we have, and they're saying these things are unexplainable. And people try to say, oh, yeah, well, they're a satellite that's gone way haywire, whatever. No, these things, these things are flying at speeds, and they're moving in ways that are unimaginable to the human mind. The, the man cannot make these things happen. And Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that there will be an increase in 
terrifying, miraculous things in the heavens. I play with this stuff in my mind. But think about it. How else is the world going to describe the great vanishing that's getting ready to take place? How else is the world going to describe the great rapture of the church when millions of people just leave the planet? This is just Phil. I can't prove this. This is not Bible. Did you hear me? This is not Bible. I think there's an increase an increased discussion and increase of these things that we're seeing and we will continue to see more of them because I think they're just gonna say, well, it's an invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> Those of you who are laughing, you're old enough to know that movie. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Let's talk about the earthquakes that are coming, okay? Because there are earthquakes that are, and earthquakes play a major role. Um, they are, earthquakes are as unpredictable and elusive as they are devastating because you just can't, you can't tell that they're coming. You can predict that they're coming, but you don't know that they're coming tomorrow. In fact, three months ago, none of us and no one, especially over in the Middle East, um, would have anticipated waking up to the great Turkish Syrian earthquake um, that took place, that just in a matter of days killed 57,000 people, leveled over 200,000 buildings and dwellings, and displaced over 1.5 million people. They're still trying to recover from all of that. And that's just one earthquake incident. I want you to know that down through the ages, earthquakes and natural disasters have been used by God to accomplish his will on the earth and to accomplish his judgment in various ways on mankind. In fact, Psalm 135.5 says this, I know that the Lord is great that, our great, that our Lord is greater than all gods and the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. And it's important for you and I to understand that it will be a great global earthquake that God will use to bring down the Antichrist when Jesus returns to right all that is wrong in the earth. Revelation 16, 18, let me read it for you. Then there came flashing of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and here it is, a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake, the great city split in three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. And Isaiah said when referencing this, people at that time will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, here it is, when he rises to shake the earth, Isaiah 2, 19. Now hear me, okay? I, I'm just describing to you the things that are coming, the things that are happening. People of the world will run from these kinds of things and they will tremble. But we are not people of the world. And we are not like them. When we see these things, the signs that Jesus said would come, we see them as signs of God's power at work who is in control of all of creation. This is not chaos or should not be chaos for those of us who believe. This shaking of the earth should not shake us. It must not shake us. In fact, Psalm 16, 8 need to be our words where the psalmist says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord and with him at my right hand, say it with me, I will not be 
Okay, now say it like you mean it. Say it like it means something to you, okay? I will not be shaken. We're not to be downcast when these things happen. When we see the increase, it ought to increase our hope. It ought to increase our confidence in the Lord because we put our hope and our confidence in God. Hebrews 6, 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This world might be rocking, the earth might be shaking. I feel the earth move under my feet. I feel the stars fumbling. I'm just trying to lighten it up a little bit. But when we feel that happening, we say to ourselves, We have a hope that is sure and steadfast, firm and secure. What is that hope? It's our faith in Jesus Christ. It's our relationship with God the Father because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I wanna spend the rest of our time this morning, wow, (laughs) building your confidence through the powerful living words of God given to us to counter battle anxiety, okay? Because we're not to be shaken when the earth moves. We're to be confident. So the first confidence builder in your notes is this. We have confidence in God's protection. From Genesis to Revelation, you and I can see God as someone who loves and cares for and watches over his people and protects them and keeps them safe in the midst of danger. The scripture describes him as our shield, our fortress, our hiding place, our keeper, our refuge, our rock, our shade, our shelter, and our stronghold. I want you to read with your own mouth. I want you to hear from your own mouth the words of God, and hopefully you'll build confidence as we read together Psalm 27.1. Come on, read it out loud with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Read with me Zechariah 9.15. The Lord of heaven's armies will protect his people. Let's try that one again. The Lord of heaven's armies will protect his people. Listen, when we fully grasp God's very real and powerful presence with us and understand that because we are in Christ, then God is for us, then our hearts will not faint in a time of disaster. Look at Psalm 46.1. Read this with me out loud. Come on, church. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, surging, I can't even speak today. It doesn't matter what goes on around us, my friends. It doesn't matter if the world is shaking, the entire world is shaking, if the sky is falling. We know that he is our refuge and our strength and an ever-present help in our time of trouble, and we will not fear. What is it that we have to fear? Well, I might get hurt, yes. I might die, glory. Glory. We have nothing to fear. God is our protector. So we find confidence in his protection. Here's the second thing. We can find confidence in God's plan. What if I told you that disasters, natural disasters like the ones we're talking about here today, 
can and have been used by God to serve in his redemptive plan. Using crisis and using disaster to bring people to himself. Proverbs 16, four says that the Lord works out everything to its proper end. This is interesting. Even the wicked for a day of disaster. Wanna hear something really cool? So there was this guy, he lived in Philippi. He got up to go to work one day because he was a jailer. So he had to go to work and take care of the prisoners. So he goes to work and these, this, these two dudes named Paul and Silas show up in jail. And in the middle of the night, do you remember what happens? As Paul and Silas start to sing, do you remember what happens? There was a great earthquake, the scripture says. It was an earthquake that brought the Philippian jailer to Christ. In fact, it was such a strong earthquake that it, it took the, um, it, it busted open the, the gates of the prison, it freed the shackles off of the men. And this guy was so afraid, this Philippian jailer was so afraid that he cries out, what must I do to be saved? So this earthquake happens, and the very first thing out of the guy's mouth is, save me, somebody save me. What must I do to be saved? And what was Paul and Silas's response? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Oh, and by the way, if your household wants to, they can come too. And this Bible tells us, the story tells us that the Philippian jailer was gloriously saved that day, and his whole household got saved that day, all because of an earthquake. I love that story. My friends, listen to me. God is in total control. And he is at work in you. He's at work through you. He's at work through that disastrous situation in your life. And he's at work to conform you into the image of his son and accomplish his will in the world. Hold your heads up in confidence. When the earthquakes start to come and the natural disasters start to come and the whole world cries out, what must I do to be saved? We're gonna be standing right there saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved because we have confidence in God's plan. We know what God is up to. We can read the end of the book. We totally know what's coming and how it's going to end and we're victorious. We don't need to be afraid with everybody else and freaking out with everybody else. In fact, we need to be the ones who are strong and secure because of our God being our refuge and our strength and being fearless in the midst of all these things that are petrifying everybody, these terrifying things that Jesus says are going to happen. Amen. Hold your head up in confidence because of God's protection, his plan. Here's the, here's the third thing, confidence in God's perspective. And I love this. This is the one has ministered to me more than any of them this week. Confidence in God's perspective. Listen to Paul's perspective on his present trials in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. I believe that God, the Holy Spirit, wrote this to, told him to write this for you and me today and what we're going to face. He starts out with this in verse 16. We never give up. Amen. That's awesome right there. We never, in fact, I think we ought to get a banner and hang the banner across the commons until Jesus comes back. With these words, we never give up. Though our bodies, somebody raise their hand, though our bodies are dying, more of you, your bodies, I could tell just by looking at you. More of you. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. And he's like, Paul, knock it off. 
How many of you been here, or maybe you're here right now, my trouble is not small. And it feels like it's never going to end. I know what he's talking about. I know the opposite of what he's talking about. Let me say it that way. But what he's saying, he's giving us perspective. Hear the perspective. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Don't let that derail you, that that comment. Because he says, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we look at something else. We fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. So some of those things that he's referencing, we can find in Revelation chapter 21. Look, read it with me. Revelation 21, three. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. That's a big deal, by the way. I will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. My friends, this is real stuff. This is really going to be a time. There's another great place for an amen. This stuff is all going away. This is what Paul is referencing. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. It is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Praise the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah, because those days are coming, and that's what Paul is saying. Look to those things that are coming that you cannot see yet. Don't be focused on all the bad that is happening here. Human conflict and natural disasters are evidence of the corruptive nature of sin on human beings and on this earth. But they also reflect the temporary nature of the world. John said in 1 John 2, 17, the world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Be focused on that. Be focused on, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, my kingdom, and my righteousness. Seek first my will and living the way I have called you to live, and I'll take care of all these other things that are happening around you in your world. Got one more in you? Okay, we can have confidence in God's provision. Confidence in God's provision. God has promised in Philippians 4.19, in fact, Probably most of you have this somewhere in your house or you have memorized this multiple times in your life and it goes like this. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory because of Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful verse. How many of your needs will God supply? All of your needs. And when he goes to um, get the stuff that you need, where does he go to get it? In his great, his, God's great storehouse of blessings. According to the riches of his glory. That's an amazing storehouse to go shop in, right there. And God goes there to get all the things that you need and he does it because of your relationship that you have in Jesus Christ. And we know that he will give us our daily bread. He has talked about that. He has has promised that over and over again. He has promised to take care of his people. I will meet your every need. But I want to to go somewhere else with this, okay? Because that's true. And that makes you feel good, right? How many times have you been down and out? 
and haven't had enough, and you quote the verse, God will supply our every need. Hey, family, just relax. God will supply our every need. He has promised to do that, and he'll do it according to his riches, okay? That's a wonderful thing, and that brings confidence to us, but I want you to see a bigger picture of why God says, I will supply your needs. You ready? Okay, suck it up. Here we go. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven, Paul says this. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Is that clear? So God loves it when we cheerfully and generously give things away, okay? And God will generously provide all that you need. My God will provide all your needs. He will generously supply that for you. Then, after he supplies your need, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Why? What's the goal? So that you can always be generous. That's a secret that God has for his people that sometimes we forget about. God says, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna meet all your needs. And we tend to say, good, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Keep it right here with us. We're gonna take care of our needs right here. That's not what God's heart is. God's heart is, I'm going to give you your needs, but then I'm going to give you in abundance so that you can give out of the abundance of what I give you to take care of other people, to meet other people's needs. And we can see other passages of the scripture where the more you're generous, the more you give away, the more he will give to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over in your lap so that you can take what's running over in your lap and pour it out on everyone around you and continue to give because God loves a cheerful, generous giver. Isn't that something? Put it, let that put a smile on your face, that God is taking care of you so that you can take care of other people. Now, let's apply it to what we're talking about. In these last days, when we see the increase of this, the people are gonna be hungry. Famine's coming. We get to feed them. People are gonna be sick. We get to minister to their needs. People are gonna be shaken because of all that's going on in the world. We get to offer them the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We get to offer shelter when the storms come. We get to partner with organizations that are serving displaced and disgraced populations of people. We can offer hope in all of the hopelessness that will come because of these disasters that are coming. We can offer them in the middle of the disasters that are coming the same confidence that we have in our God, they can have in our God. He will be their guide out of the darkness, just as he is our guide out of the darkness. What a time to be living in, you guys. We should not let this stuff discourage us or frighten us. We ought to get excited about the the ministry opportunities that we're going to have as the days come to an end. All right. We have time for a little story, and then I'm gonna finish, be done. And we're gonna sing at the end, too, by the way, so hang on, okay? I wanna finish with a story about a brave young man named Jacob Smith. 
At just 12 years old, Jacob stood at the top of an 11,000-foot mountain in the big sky, Montana. Jacob was about to what they call free ride, a triple black diamond ski run. Free riding is when a skier attempts to ski down an undefined slope. So this is just, he's just skiing off a mountain is what he's doing. 12 years old, take a look. How impressive is that? 12 years old, free skiing down. I mean, amazing, right? You want to know what's more amazing? Jacob's is a 12-year-old blind boy who skied down, and you watched him do it. How is that even possible? That a 12-year-old, how is it even possible that a 12-year-old would do that? But a 12-year-old blind boy would do that. What's the secret weapon? Well, the secret is Jacob's dad, Nathan. Nathan, actually, if if we could turn it up and listen closely, you would be able to hear Nathan's dad talking him down the slope on a two-way radio. So as Nathan describes the terrain, the dad describes the terrain, Jacob is visualizing it in his mind. And when the dad tells his son to make a turn to the move uh, or to move in a new direction, Jacob replies and responds and obeys immediately. In fact, when a reporter asked Jacob how much he trusts in his dad, he simply responded, well, I mean, enough to turn right when he tells me to. (laughs) That's classic, a 12-year-old. But hear me, Jacob's confidence in order to be able to do this impossible thing, he finds in not himself, he finds in his father's protection and in his father's plan and in his father's perspective and in his father's voice. That's the secret weapon to be able to achieve the impossible. And I just want you to hear this as we finish this off. If we will listen and trust our Father's voice. We will be able to navigate all the things that are coming, all the twists and turns and the disasters of this life, and we'll be able to navigate them with confidence. Not because we're confident in our own abilities, because in our own self, we will not be able to do it. We would run and flee, but we are confident in the character and the power and the plan of our Heavenly Father, who not only sees what is coming, but he loves us enough to tell us in advance what's coming so that we can navigate it successfully. I want you to stand and I want to read this over you and then we're gonna sing one more time, all right? Isaiah 30, 21. 
Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. He loves you, he cares about you, and he's at work in your life to produce amazing things. Let's sing about that one more time, all right? people on your way out. God bless you.